Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. Welcome back to another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. We have another industry uh, giant. She is the editor-in-chief for Packaging Digest. Uh, her name is Lisa Pierce. If you don't know her, if you haven't connected with her, she puts out incredible content. The People of Packaging Digest are at the forefront of things in our industry, and the interview with Lisa and the way that we cover uh, packaging and COVID and her insights into things are just so almost unparalleled. So I really encourage you uh, to dig into this episode. Uh, as I've mentioned before, we are now sponsored and uh, that is super cool. Doxalent has been so gracious to us to help us out with this podcast. Uh, they have a packaging specification management software called Insure. If you don't know about it, you can do it. So who needs this thing? It's for packaging professionals who are finding information through Word docs and spreadsheets and emails and PDFs and Dropbox and everywhere. And you just need to put it into one place. You need a, a single source of truth. You need it to be in a controlled version or a controlled environment um, that everybody has access to, especially if you're using co-packers and contract manufacturers and international offices and everywhere else. You just need one place to put your documents. Insure can help you control your specs and maximize the efficiency of your specification workflow. So please support our podcast by going to www.peopleofpackaging.com. That is peopleofpackaging.com. It's a super easy form, first name, last name. You'll get a free ebook sent to you, which is how to transform your packaging specification workflow to increase efficiency and decrease time to market. Who doesn't want that? That's always a need in packaging. We have to be looking for ways to increase our efficiency and decrease our time to market, especially when times are a little tenuous and you know hard to tell what's going to be going on in the middle of a pandemic with this election season that's been happening maybe by the time you listen to this the election season's already been over who knows um but please go to www.peopleofpackaging.com and get your free ebook from doxalent and learn how to increase your efficiency and decrease your time to market and with that said let's get to this interview with lisa pierce All right, everybody, welcome to yet another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. Uh, I am so honored to be joined by Lisa Pierce. Uh, Lisa is the executive editor for Packaging Digest and is an incredible person to follow on LinkedIn. Uh, if, if you are in the packaging industry and you're not connected with Lisa, you're not connected with what's going on at Packaging Digest, this is my plug uh, for... Uh, for her and for Packaging Digest, they do a great job covering the industry. And as Lisa and I were talking uh, prior to the interview, uh, she's used to being on my side of the microphone. And so it's my honor and privilege to be able to share a little bit about her story and some of her insights here on the podcast. So Lisa, welcome to the People of Packaging Thank Podcast. You. Thank you, Adam. I'm uh, thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Well, thank you for giving us the opportunity. It's uh, it's really exciting. I think we met uh, in person for the first time. There was it was at a um, was that at Pack Expo? I think it was at Pack Expo in a media room. So. Is that correct? And we we're Sounds like, oh, that's my memory too. Okay, all right. So let's just go. Let's just go with that. Who's gonna Who's gonna um, take <laughs> issue with it? Right? No one's gonna <laughs> fact check that one. I don't think. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, so I, this is a, I don't remember if I even told the story, but that was the first time I, I was able to go to Pack Expo as like a media member. I'd always been as a, an attendee or a vendor. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, there's food. There's a quiet place to sit down. This is glorious. <laughs> I was so, yes, it was thanks. so fantastic. They do a great job of uh, taking care of, taking care of people. Who, my, yes. 
They do a wonderful job with their press room. Uh, very professional professionals at uh, PMMI. Indeed, indeed. Um, all right, so uh, we're going to get into a bunch of topics, which is um, is maybe a little bit uh, a little bit of a slight deviation from the norm, um, but that's that's a hundred percent fine, and I'm excited to get into it. But for the people who do not yet know you, maybe just a a quick background on your life and what you do at Packaging Digest and um, things like that. So, you know, where'd you grow up and how'd you get in the industry and those kinds of things? Sure. I am born and raised in Chicago, the Chicago area, um, kind of a uh, Chicago snob, so to say. I think uh, we have a wonderful city. Um, considering even events that current events that are going on in the mm -hmm. city. Um, grew up on the south side of Chicago, but then uh, moved to the suburbs and have uh, been in various suburbs uh, my whole entire life here in the Chicagoland area. Um, I got into packaging, packaging media, almost um, as a, as a, um, you know, it, it just uh, was fate, I guess. Um, I got a job with a business-to-business -business publisher called Connors Publishing, uh, okay. spelled C-A-H-N-E-R-S, oh, and um, right out of right out of college, and um, they assigned me to the magazine called Package Engineering, and it's uh, been one uh, one packaging magazine after another that I've worked on my entire career. So I was with Package Engineering. They changed their name to Packaging. Uh, then I started working for um, uh, Food and Drug Packaging, and hmm. we eventually changed that name to Food and Beverage Packaging. Right. I worked on Flexible Packaging, and um, it's been more than 10 years now that I've been on Packaging Digest. And when I started my career with Package Engineering, Packaging Digest was the end-all, be-all of <laughs> packaging magazines out there. Right. And uh, so it was a, a, a little bit of a, uh, a, a huge sense of accomplishment when I, I finally was hired by Packaging Digest. And here I am today. Yeah, that's Still great. I'm thrilled. It's, it's been um, in August, this August, just about a month ago, it's been 38 years that I've been working for uh, the packaging media. And I can say um, not a single day have I been bored, not hmm. a single day of my career. And there's not too many people, I think, that could say that. Yeah, and that's, uh, I think what's, uh, you know, just kind of thinking about that career path and the, the uh, knowledge and perspective that you've been able to get within the packaging industry from, you know, engineering to flexible packaging to food and beverage, and now with a this very like broad because packaging is such a niche focused uh, mm -hmm. industry, but you have this broad perspective because even within the focus of the industry, it's still this trillion dollar global market that is vast and expansive with you know incredible jobs and and all of these things that we've detailed on the podcast before. But I, I'm I'm excited to get your perspective on on a lot of this stuff. Uh, specifically current events that have really impacted the world and specifically uh, specifically the packaging um, industries. Before we really dive into that, though, I, I do have a very, very important question. Uh, this is not, we're not doing a video recording, but if we were, you would see a life-size cardboard cutout of Michael Jordan behind me. Um, okay. I assume that you are a large Chicago Bulls fan. Would that be correct? In their heyday, yes. It was a thrill to watch them play. Mm -hmm. I think anybody would enjoy watching them play. But yes, it was super sweet being from Chicago. <laughs> I would imagine. Well, I live in Salt Lake City now. Do you know who does not like Michael Jordan? Our Utah Jazz fans. And rightly so, because he yes. destroyed them uh, routinely. Yes. So several, uh, I was going to say several times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. he, was not, he was not kind uh, to to the Utah Jazz. But uh, yeah, I was, I was growing up, I was a huge Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman. Actually, I was just on, this is super obscure, but I was just on a, a uh, interviewed for a podcast 
And they said, oh, the guest that we had on before you was Bill Wennington. I was like, the center for the Chicago Bulls? No you had Bill kidding. Wennington on? And I get to follow Bill Wennington? I was so excited. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, that would, um, I would have loved to have been, I'd never went to a game at the United Center. That would have been, that would have been pretty incredible. And, you know, I mean, honestly, I don't know if you still follow the Bulls, but they just hired Billy Donovan, um, who's a great coach, in my opinion. So I think that was the right move. Uh, in case you care to have any information on the current state of Chicago Bulls basketball. But yeah, this is not a basketball podcast. <laughs> right, that's right. As much as I would like to turn it into one sometimes. Um, so what we're going to talk about is, and I think that you provide one of, if not the most uh, unique and valuable perspective on this is, we have this question, I get this question a lot in the packaging industry, which is, well, what's, what, what does a post-COVID world look like? What is COVID-19's impact mm-hmm. on packaging? Uh, that's obviously coming from people in the packaging industry, the concerns of what COVID-19 are gonna have, you know, politically and economically, are just on humanity in general, are obviously much more broad than, quote, just packaging. But I think when you really open up and illuminate people's minds to the role that packaging is going to play, it's like, wow, this is actually a much bigger deal than I thought it was. Um, And I was excited when we first connected to talk about the podcast and you were like, this is what I want to talk about. And I'm like, this is going to be perfect. So I'm, I'm excited to dig in with you. I know I've been following you on social media. Yeah. You've, you've done a ton of research on it. So, um, I'm pumped up. So first of all, uh, let's talk about what is happening in, in the packaging industry when it comes to material selection and, and the proliferation of single use and that's impact on hygiene. And what is it that you're seeing in the market on maybe let's first start with materials. What's shifting? What's, um, what's trending up? What's kind of going away? Uh, what are some of those things sure. you're seeing? Well, uh, before we talk about post-COVID, I think we have to talk just a little bit about pre-COVID. Um, yeah, great point. In, co- in, in, in COVID. In COVID right now, yeah. In COVID, because we're yep. still there. And then uh, move on to post-COVID uh, with our fingers crossed that there right. is going to be a post-COVID. Let's stay positive about that. Let's do but, it. Yeah, um, no, that's, pre- that's, a, great, that's yeah. a great point. Thanks for bringing us back into the present tense reality of COVID-19 yeah. right now today. That's a great point. So um, before COVID, probably one of the most major issues that packaging people were dealing with was around plastic packaging and um, trying to replace it as much as possible and be a lot more sustainable as far as material selection, uh, amount of packaging, and um, you know, looking at the whole supply chain. So um, there were a lot of a lot of activity in reusability. Mm-hmm. both at the primary package level as well as within the supply chain. And um, at the primary pack level, I think most people in the packaging industry are well aware of the LOOP initiative right. taken by uh, TerraCycle CEO Tom Zaki and um, gang. And um, that kind of impacted quite a bit right before COVID started. You know, it's been more than a year that they've uh, had that initiative started. Uh, They just recently went to national distribution, which I can't wait. We're still in the middle of doing article about that. So I can't wait for that to come out. But um, so that's kind of the the pre-COVID area where sustainability was probably the major issue in Mm -hmm. um, packaging. And um, within sustainability, you have recycling, you have a huge anti-plastics mu- movement, and then you've got this uh, reusable, uh, you know, uh, again, another, another movement, more like a, a um, tsunami wave, um, actually. And um, then COVID happened. Yeah. And what that made people rethink, first of all, um, plastic packaging, nobody 
care. Oh God, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud <laughs> for a short period of time um, right. in the, the height of the, the COVID worries, concerns, nobody cared about plastic packaging. That's right. Nobody, nobody cared about um, packaging waste. Uh, what they were most concerned about was safety and health mm -hmm. and um, mitigating any risk. So sure. And even availability, when you think about, um, you yeah. know, the, the lack of hand sanitizer packaging, as an example, or just mm -hmm. soap and cleaning. Yeah. 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 So for a while there, that became um, more important to look at the, and you already mentioned it, you know, hygienic packaging, which in a lot of cases meant single use. Mm -hmm. So that you had um, extra wrapping around products. And once you remove the wrap, then you were safe to touch the, the product, um, the package uh, that the product was in, whatever. And um, we, we have learned a lot. And there were a lot of um, shifts uh, very quickly throughout the la throughout like the first three or four months of um, COVID in the United States, which, which I would say, you know, starting at the end of January all the way through, you know, maybe beginning of May, that those were probably the worst scary months um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the U.S. And um, so we did cover quite a lot of uh, companies doing what they could to reassure their, their customers with, um, you know, single-use packaging, um, like I say, wrapped packaging, because at that point, early on, nobody really knew how the virus was living right. on, on surfaces. Right. And there were actually articles that came out that said, you know, it lives for 72 hours on, you know, corrugated, uh, yeah. corrugated boxes. Um, yeah. Wipe down, wipe down your shipping boxes, let them sit outside for a week. Um, whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, and there were quite a few people who actually did that. In fact, uh, I, I know some people who still leave their packages um, in their garage for a couple of days before bringing them in house. Yep. So, you know, we've kind of moved beyond that. There, um, um, uh, people are a little bit more comfortable with the risk level of handling packages as far as the virus is concerned. Mm -hmm. um, but the whole idea of the um, awareness of hy hygiene I don't think is going to go away for a long, long time. <laughs> and yeah, the, the, I, I, real quick, I remember I got into my first Uber. I had to, I had to travel for work. This was in August yeah. and I got into an Uber and I realized that what I just, what I did was totally normal and would have been mm -hmm. completely weird had it happened in December. You know, you get in the car, you're wearing a face mask, uh, you get out a hand sanitizer wipe, you wipe down every single surface and then you just don't communicate to the person. You sit there awkwardly. And I was like, this is what's normal for Uber. I'm going to get in. I'm going to wipe down everything. They're handing you sanitizer stuff. Mm -hmm. And before COVID, that would have been like, that would have been the story that the Uber driver tells. Like then this weirdo gets in the car. He has a face mask on. <laughs> what? Yeah. A face mask. And he wipes down everything like a freak, like a germ freak. You know what I'm saying? Like that would have been the story. Yeah. And, and now it's, it's like, if you don't do it, you are lacking compassion and empathy. So, um, and I agree, I don't think that's going away for, for a while. Right. But the one thing that has gone away is the lack of concern from a sustainability point of view. Yeah. The anti-plastics movement has returned in full force mm -hmm. and, um, I, I'm in a, in one way, I'm kind of glad to see it that, you know, we're still focusing on, on, uh, sustainability. Um, I'm not necessarily, and nobody really cares personally what I think. Um, but personally, I'm not necessarily anti-plastic at all. I understand the value of every packaging material that's out there, but I do understand too that in the, in the current climate that um, 
uh, just people in general being concerned with climate change and um, other sustainability issues, saving the you know nature for our, our, our descendants and the whatnot. Um, all of this is is important to to consumers, mm-hmm. and um, companies, rightly so, have been focused on it for a number of years, and it's um, it's good that they are continuing to focus on it. So, you know, we continue to see a lot of brand owners coming out with uh, uh, new packages that are anti-plastic, you know, some other material. And you talked about the, um, uh, you know, how how do people pick materials now for packaging as going forward. And it's a little bit more from a sustainability point of view than it has to do with COVID now. Right. Which I think is, you know, kind of where it needs to be. So, you know, hygiene is still important, but the greater concern, the longer range concern is back toward sustainability. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that arc, uh, what's the quote? Um, there's a long arc that bends toward justice, I think is what uh, Dr. King said. And I do think that there is a sense that while there was kind of this momentary, uh, we'll call it a blip on the radar where it was like, you're right. Nobody cared, uh, about plastic. It, it, none of it really met even, even like brand loyalty went out the window. It was, can I buy toilet paper became the question, not, can I get, you know, two ply toilet paper and sustainably packed, you know, something or other. And it's got to be an FSC certified this. And it was like, I just want something uh, to get me through this pandemic. So, but I, I, I think that I probably, I, I would agree with you. And by the way, you said nobody cares. Um, I certainly do care um, <laughs> what you have to say on the issue. Um, and I, and I think that there's a lot of people who do when you said, you know, that you don't necessarily disagree with plastic and I would, I would wholeheartedly agree. I think plastic is not moral or immoral. It's a material that can be used in positive or negative ways. Not, you know, so we just have to understand how we're using it and then what the end of its life is. So, um, so as brands are returning, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, but but this may be where you were going anyway, Adam, because it just kind of logically leads us there. So, but continuing on this of, you know, some of the COVID impacts um, as it relates to sustainability. Yeah. That's where I was going. uh, As, yeah, as people are working from home, you know, the one thing, and this has even been uh, identified in the general media where um, because people are working at home and they're now kind of more responsible for all their their waste, they're a lot more conscious of, wow, we generate a lot of garbage. Right. <laughs> uh, how can we, you know, recycle this? Because even today with all the sustainable options that are out there, the consumer still, when you ask them, you know, what does it mean to be sustainable to them? Like uh, the vast majority of them are going to say, oh, we recycle. Um, recycling is still the first thing that comes to most consumers' minds when they they are you know asked what does it mean to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So um, this whole issue of number one being a little bit more conscious of how much waste they're generating because they're doing it all themselves now at home and there's a lot more people at home um, and just the whole idea of recycling. Um, how to make it easier for them. They want to recycle, how to make it easier for them. Um, How many people have access to curbside recycling? The whole idea of do we want a a single stream or do we want the consumer who knows virtually nothing about different packaging materials? Do we want them being the ones to separate the materials? And, you know, so we can get all into that. There's um, a lot of, technologies and a lot of um, a lot of smart people are working on improving the recycling infrastructure in the United Mm -hmm. States which I think Adam you even know is in desperate need of help oh yeah even the recyclers would say that I mean they're Mm -hmm. when when you talk with uh, I had somebody on from EcoCycle Kate Christian and you know, she's describing, it's, it's a very innovative uh, recycling center. And, you know, she was even talking to me about 
the problems of, take for example, uh, the aluminum can allocation issue. And so you have a lot more labels going onto cans and the problems that those labels are causing on aluminum can yeah. recycling because everyone knows you just recycle all of your aluminum cans. And you know, for a while it was an easy problem to get around because it wasn't that big of a deal to have the labels on. Well, now labels are on so many cans it's causing issues. And so it's, it's a material issue. I think it's just a, mm -hmm. it's, it, it, it's, it's a difficult issue. I've been really, uh, and, and may, I'm sure that you've talked with plenty of people in the kind of in the chemical recycling space. I think that that has a lot of, yep. of pretty a important potential. potential. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, what was interesting is one, um, uh, one shift that my family made uh, slightly before COVID uh, it was actually after I read Tom Zaki's book, The Future of Packaging, is we oh, switched. Good. Yeah, so we switched over to the, um, uh, wait, were you in that book? Do I have that correct? Yes, I was. I had a chapter in that book. I was going to say, I got it right here on the yeah. back of my thing. I'm like, wait a second. I'm talking with packaging yeah. royalty. How did I <laughs> not remember that Lisa had a chapter in this book? So after I read the book that you were in, not Tom's book. Um, I mean, it kind of was his book, but we know who really carried the day. It oh, it's definitely his book. <laughs> I know. Uh, so anyway, I read the book. I've given the book out to dozens of people. I think it's fantastic. And um, so we switched over Thanks to... For the plug. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we switched over to milk delivery and from a local delivery person. It was one dairy farm. And the owner of the dairy farm did all the deliveries in his personal truck. And so he'd show up. Glass? And, uh, it was actually it not glass. glass. Okay. Um, uh, he was using uh, plastic bottles. Uh, nobody was using glass okay. bottles in Utah because there's actually, this is an odd thing, municipal uh, recycling of glass is not very common in the state of Utah. Who knew? Yeah, well, they're having trouble with uh, recycling glass almost everywhere these days. Interesting. In fact, um, I... I had a conversation with uh, one of my relatives earlier, just earlier this week, and we were talking about um, recycling glass. And I mm. said, yeah, I can, re I, I can recycle glass. And she said, you can recycle glass? They're not taking it by me. Yeah, they don't take it here either. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. we had switched over to milk delivery. And, um, you know, this guy's great. He's, you know, became like a friend. And all of a sudden it was like, man, he's getting later and later. And then COVID hit and we saw new people delivering our milk. And, and finally he came and I was like, Hey, what, what's going on? And he said, I can't, I can't make enough milk. Everybody's buying milk from me now. And so it was almost like people's buying habits shifted where they're like, well, I don't want to have to go to the grocery store for milk anymore. And think about the positive impacts that has on sustainability. We're not shipping Yes. You know, air freighting milk around the country. It's supporting local farms. It's doing all this stuff. So there were, I think, you know, some positive things from it. Um, yeah, well, we're going to have to go back to that one, Adam, because that's a little <laughs> bit of a different. A, a you different do, okay. On it, but keep keep going. Yeah. No, no, no. That was it. I, I want to hear your different handle on it because okay. I was pumped. I was pumped for a local well, farmer. Okay, um, before we get on to that, which leads us into the supply chain and sourcing, which is our, our next yeah. topic. Um, so we're doing great. We are up these. Uh, yes, we are. I can't but believe I forgot you were, in, you were in one of my favorite books. What a shame on me. I mean, you're going to oh. sign it for me. <laughs> sure. Okay, <laughs> will do. Um, but before we leave the whole sustainability and specifically on the recycling end of things, yeah. um, and we, we were, you know, chatting about who who does the sorting, whether it's single stream. And I think a lot of the municipalities have gone to the single stream and, you know, the, the, the pros and cons of that, you could argue. But um, the one thing that I don't know anybody could argue is just how useful, number one, how genius in its simplicity, but also how useful the how to recycle label is. And I just have to give a plug for that mm -hmm. because um, the the folks at the Sustainable Packaging um, Institute, wait, SPC, Pack Packaging Coalition. SPC. Coalition, thank you. I knew yeah. I had the last word wrong. It's okay. Um, uh, I've been working with the, the folks there for, God, at least a decade, probably longer. 
and continue to be impressed by them, especially the how to recycle label, the simplicity of the design. As I mentioned, um, Kelly Kramer, who mm -hmm. um, oversees that whole program, uh, I wow, I want to be her when I grow up because she just is amazing. Amazing with how, how uh, she's just amazing. Anyway. No, so and, and even, even, along, a, even along with that, um, it's funny that I really appreciate the cannot be recycled, how to recycle. Um, mm -hmm. and, and people think I'm crazy for that, but I'm like marking. It's like if you go to the doctor and they say you're not sick and it's like, well, that was a waste. No, it wasn't a waste because you thought maybe you were sick. And now you know you're not sick when when you can put on there do not put in recycling yeah it feels negative for the brand but it, it at the very least it's keeping our recycling streams clean um and and it's also forcing you to put that onto your product you have to communicate in that situation you are communicating to your customers you know this is mixed use flexible packaging cannot be recycled big x through yeah. it my, my five-year-old says merk yeah. You know, you got to put the murk through it <laughs> and, and then you're now responsible for that. So it, I think it also applies a little bit of pressure. So yeah, big, big shout okay. out to how to recycle in the SPC. For yeah. Sure. So I do have to take just a moment to tell another little story. Um, I just a couple of months ago in the height of the whole COVID thing, I had um, quite a revealing confession that I shared with our audience in an article um, that despite the fact that I've been covering sustainability in packaging for more than a decade, probably closer to 20, you know, even 30 years, um, mm -hmm. I've only been recycling at home for a couple of months. <laughs> dun, and, dun, dun. Um, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> But one of the things that I realized very early on is how much of my garbage still today is made up of flexible packaging because it's not being recycled at um, curbside. Mm -hmm. um, and it, even though even though I believe that I've got a little bit of an edge on the uh, regular consumer in being able to identify linear, linear low-density polyethylene film mm -hmm. <laughs> that I can then drop off at the, the, at the store, store and yeah. um, have it be recycled. Like I, I can um, identify that in a lot of different packages than the general consumer you know you know your your bags from the store uh you know bags from dry cleaners although who's going to a dry cleaner these days right, having right. To go into the office or the business um don't get me started about that my poor dry cleaner oh she was so upset <laughs> anyway um staying on topic here <laughs> so um i was just really surprised at how much of my trash is flexible packaging because it's not it's not going in the recycle bin and it's sort of good news bad news good news that so many products are using flexible packaging and gaining the sustainability sustainability benefits of reduced packaging mm -hmm. but you know to the consumer they're looking they they're looking at what's going in the trash and that has a negative impression on them. Right. So, um, and I know there's a lot of really smart people in the in the in the industry. Um, the Flexible Packaging Association has been leading in this area for a long time on um, figuring out end of life sustainability solutions for flexible packaging. So, yeah, um, it'll be interested in, interesting to see what else they uh, come up with um, now that I've. I continue to point, continue to point out that they have a uh, end of life, you know, issue, uh, yeah. image problem. <laughs> yeah, no, there, that's definitely, I mean, I, I work in the flexible packaging industry for my full-time job and that's a, uh, it, it's not just a common conversation, but I think for my fellow flexible packaging people, you have to be willing to have that conversation. Uh, you can't sweep that under the rug. It's a very real scenario. And exactly. while yes, if somebody does a life cycle analysis versus, you know, a, another form of packaging, it might be 
it might bend in the favor of flexible packaging from a carbon footprint, from all of that stuff, you know, less packaging, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes perception will also rule the day. And so the, it, it has been exciting to see, you know, what the FPA is doing. And um, as more and more, there's, there's a greater push towards having some, like there's recycle ready, flexible packaging now that's made out of all polyethylene, there's yep. compostable, or I guess you gotta be careful. Um, I almost said compostable, but it's, it's made from compostable materials, I guess is probably the best way, because uh, we're still in the middle of some of that, um, that evolution when it comes to the, the compostability of packaging and even the greater question of does composting, do composting facilities want packaging? That's, Tom actually covers that, I think, in, in the book. So, um, yep. yeah, there's a whole bunch that, there's a whole bunch of directions we can go, but you have left me hanging now for long enough. Why am I wrong about, about my milkman friend? That's what I want to know. You are not necessarily wrong. Okay. Um, but if you think about the pallet load supply chain, the efficiency of the pallet load supply chain distribution that we have in the United States, um, wow, is all I can say. Yeah. And when you think of the energy, talking again about you know the broad look, life cycle analysis, the energy that is used to deliver a single product in a single package to a consumer's home. Now, most consumers nowadays are buying more than just one product and mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're gaining efficiencies in the small parcel distribution um, supply chain because of that. But um, you know, nobody has really done a whole lot of, and uh, I, I had conversations with um, Bob Lilienfeld, who's been a sustainability guru for decades. And um, he worked with, um, you know what, I, I don't want to misspeak it. I'm, he um, did some consulting work and then he's, he's got his own um, consulting company, um, Use Less Waste. Okay. And I, I don't know which um, organization he did the study on, but he uh, did do a study on the, um, the pros and cons of small parcel versus pallet load, a very, um, you know, small portion of the study and um it was inconclusive so hmm. um until we see some actual numbers adam i'm going to remain um skeptical <laughs> so to say on whether or not the small parcel supply chain is more sustainable than the highly efficient highly evolved pallet load distribution in the United States. Sure. Yeah. And I think that, you know, with um, kind of the, if we're, if we're staying on the COVID topic, uh, e-commerce, it, it really exploded during COVID. I mean, it was already blowing up. Uh, clearly, Amazon, this tiny little distribution company that some people have heard of. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, you just had this kind of two-day mentality and um, but it, it tended to skew towards, you know, kind of Gen X, millennial, iGen or Gen Z was, you know, really big into e-commerce and, um, you know, the baby boomer generation, older Gen X tended to be less adaptive, though I'm not saying that it's exclusively, but then when everybody was forced to do e-commerce, um, I think a lot of the studies are showing that people aren't going to go back. Um, I mean, not saying that retail's dead. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just that more and more decisions are going to be made online. Um, yep. And so, yep. um, and and let me make it my a, my. It was, go ahead. It was a comfort level with consumers once they were, like you say, forced into doing it, and they learned how. That's going to make the difference going forward, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, by the way, my defense of local milkman guy is that he delivers pallet. He loads up a pallet into his one truck and okay. makes the deliveries. And uh, so that would be my only uh, my only defense is that nothing would be shipped. Uh, but I agree. There, you should always conduct a, LC, a life cycle analysis on these things. 
Um, I also like it preference preferentially because it's uh, it, I can go to the farm and see where the milk's being made and how is it manufactured and it just tastes fresher to me. It's probably a mental thing. Mm -hmm. um, at any rate, uh, it's also more expensive in case anybody cares to know. And I have five kids, so our milk spend did go up. Um, <laughs> But, but got, you you you've already you already made the case for the value for the money that you're spending, and you know what? This is something to consider too: is the uh, the the spending uh, what people are spending on has also shifted because of COVID. So, yeah. True. Um, so then, uh, what what are you saying? Um, if we're staying in the supply chain world, um, so mm -hmm. you know, looking at pallet load versus parcel and e-com but um you know you had i had a note when when we were talking about focusing in on healthcare and pallet load supply chain um around that topic what what are some things some trends that you're seeing some information you're seeing when it obviously healthcare has always been important it's going to continue to be important um yeah but what what what's that impact on packaging well, um, part of the impact from a healthcare point of view, it's been um, in two areas mainly. And one of them has been a, a total focus on health and safety and how that's been driving um, purchasing. And um, some of that, if you look at the um, uh, items that are being bought, you know, you mentioned hand sanitizer early on, which of course went through the roof. Mm -hmm. uh, through the roof as far as like not cost-wise, but just um, volume. You know, um, sure, we needed it, and so many companies uh, were able to shift manufacturing and fill that void. Um, thankfully, um, not quite sure moving forward if the that volume is going to stay at that level or not because you know we're not in post-covid yet we're still um, mm -hmm. trying to figure out what that that is going to look like but um, the other thing is that from uh, not necessarily consumer health care but in hospitals uh, where it's been more of a hold on um, non-essential health care Right. And um, how that has changed what products are being bought for hospitals and pharmacies and the whatnot and the supply, the whole supply back supply chain from a packaging point of view for that as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, are we going to we're definitely going to see a surge and there's already been articles written about this, uh, about um, glass vials once a COVID vaccine hits the market, uh, or once I should say various COVID vaccines right. hit the market. Um, I'm still looking into a lot of the issues around that uh, as, it, as it relates to the cold chain supply chain. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of unknowns yet in that area. Um, I haven't had a chance to, I've reached out to a number of pharmaceutical companies working on vaccines and um, uh, one of them, uh, a gentleman that I know uh, quite well at a major pharmaceutical company, uh, one of the major ones working on vaccines, uh, he says, we'd love to do an article on how this is impacting our, our packaging department and supply and everything, but um, two, two, two reasons why we have to wait. Number one, we're pretty busy right now. <laughs> yeah, rightly so. <laughs> we're all grateful yeah. for that. And number two, this is just, you know, the, the, uh, the philosophy of the company that he works with. Um, you know, we're we're figuring all this out, and we want to make sure that when we do an article, we're giving the, the best representation of, you know, here's some of the challenges that we have, but more, most important, here's how we solved them. And mm -hmm. I just love his, his mindset uh, on that area. Um, everybody has challenges in their job. It's uh, more important to focus on those solutions. So hopefully something will, we'll, uh, you know, uh, keep your eyes on Packaging Digest. We'll be, uh, we'll be covering this and hopefully um, 
bringing a lot of good positive stories about the successful distribution of COVID-19 vaccines. Yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, it would be great if I was like, uh, hey, by the time this uh, episode aired, we've actually already launched a vaccine, but that's definitely, I mean, it sounds like that's not going to happen. That would be in, in very quick, in very quick order. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the vaccine development is critical for obviously just global distribution. Um, and that's yeah. going to create a lot of interesting um, and, and place a high level of importance on packaging, right? Yes. And I think one of the lessons that we're going to learn from this um, that is going to benefit American, well, any companies moving forward is going to be the concurrent um, development. So typical development of a, of a product, specifically a, a, a drug, a pharmaceutical, is you work on product development. Once the product is approved, um, you know, you pretty much go to market in a, a package that's going to um, be validated easily. And then, you know, um, maybe it's a little bit innovative, but pretty much it's the standard package sure. that can get the product into the market the, the quickest way. Um, and then you start working on that and you put a packaging line together and, you know, you go from there. It's not, it's not, it doesn't have as much overlap in, um, can, uh, uh, nope, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, I gave up, I gave up mind reading in 1997, so I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, this is the thing about being a writer instead of a speaker. You know, I have to think of perfect word that describes this is there's very um there's more um overlap between product and packaging development mm -hmm. with this covid vaccine than there have has been in the past right and those those learnings uh, those these pharmaceutical companies are going to learn very well mm -hmm. on how to do this you know right now it's um crisis mode um, but they are going to learn from this and moving forward, the packaging departments are going to benefit um, by this in the sense that they are going to be involved much earlier in the product development stage than they ever have been in the past. Because oh, so needed. The, the companies are going to see the benefit. It's so needed exactly as you say, but the companies are going to see the benefit of speed to market that they you know, sort of new, but, you know, wasn't really, you know, they didn't have hard numbers on it. But if they, not if, um, when they do this for a COVID vaccine, this is going to be then the standard operating procedure for future uh, new product introductions. Yep. Yeah. I, that, that's my, that's my, my big prediction. I like it. That's a, I think it's a great prediction. And like, it's, it's not as though, I think COVID um, probably illuminated the need and is showing why it's important, but you're probably getting a lot of amens and hallelujahs from packaging engineers as they're listening, because I know so many engineers who are going, I don't really know what's going on with product development. They bring me in at the last minute all the mm -hmm. time. And exactly. I'm like, why? And I go tell the product managers, I'm like, you should get your packaging people involved day one and be developing your products along with them so that they can mm -hmm. see all of the iterations i know you wish you could have a perfect thing to hand to them but it's it's so much more beneficial to have them in the meetings and involve them in the prod in the process so um let's can we hang out on on design and then even maybe get into jobs as we're talking about packaging engineers but sure. um yeah. this whole this whole idea of packaging design not just structurally when it comes to a vaccine and that development happening uh, with congruency to the development of the vaccine, but what what other types of design trends uh, are you seeing currently, or maybe if you could crystal ball out into the future, do you think uh, we might we might see a little bit more of? Well, um, in the uh, COVID craze, we did see quite a lot of packaging designs, graphic pretty much graphic designs that spoke to um, immunity 
and um, try to do some reassurance from a health and safety point of view. Yeah. And a lot of that was done through uh, color selection and um, labeling claims. Uh, we're still seeing a, a lot of that. And that's one of the things that I think is going to stay in, post, in the post-COVID world, that people are from now on going to have that safety concern top of mind mm -hmm. that the package, the graphic designer is going to have to, or should address to um, get, make a sale. And um, there, there were, we had a, an article, and I can't remember exactly how long ago we did it, um, but we did do an article on specifically that, looking at various pa uh, products that had um, uh, a package design from the, the point of view of uh, immunity. Okay. And, um, oh, it, it was um, the article, I just found it, Packaging Designs Speak to Immunity and Mood Management. Mm. Uh, and I'm so glad that I, I looked up this um, headline because, you know, I've been talking about the packaging design as it relates to physical health, but, oh, man, Adam, there's this whole uh, area of mental health related to COVID-19 right. that, um, you know, really, really smart brands are recognizing it. You know, it all depends on what the product is that you're selling, too. But... Um, we have not really, we have not really tapped into the psychological effects of COVID-19, especially for the younger kids mm -hmm. who are, have been isolated and have missed the, the whole social interaction without really understanding why, mm. you know, even adults are having trouble with this isolation and, um, yeah, so both, uh, Immunity and mood, mood management, um, very, yeah. very uh, important. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, I, I was a, uh, I used to be a, I was a pastor um, in, at a church in Colorado Springs and still have some friends who are pastors. And I was talking to them, uh, a couple of them in about June, and they just said the, the amount of calls that they are getting from, you know, people who are just depressed and suicidal and experiencing spousal abuse and, you know, these types of just awful things had really escalated. Um, not at right at the very beginning, uh, but really when it's, when it started to linger and it looked like, Hey, we're not, we don't know when we're going to get out of this. It was like yep. it, people just reacted negatively. Um, and so, yeah, the, the extension of that into, into packaging and the importance of recogn recognizing that for a brand, I think is, mm -hmm. is critically important too, that, that it's, it's both, Hey, our product is safe, you know, to eat or put in your body or put on your body or whatever that is. But it's also communicating to them, like, this is a safe, like physically, this is a safe space. Like this packaging, we care about you. We, uh, you know, with whatever that is, people are paid a lot of money yep. to understand that. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's such a great point. And then, and then finally, um, the, the packaging industry has been super resilient. I think it's proved yeah. time and time again. Uh, I remember one of my uh, good friends, his family is, is actually quite wealthy and they're wealthy because during the Great Depression, his, I think it was his great grandfather um, effectively invented RC Cola. Great grandfather, great grandfather. I don't remember what it was, but oh, started nice. bottling and started making yeah. RC Cola and seven up and things like that. And, and so, you know, obviously packaging was a big part of that. I think of, you know, the importance of packaging, even at the start of COVID when people are getting laid off, I know we had some customers who were like, just keep your presses running. We can't run out of labels. We can't run out of packaging. Uh, we have to fill the shelves. And so um, I think there is a level of resilience to packaging, but it's not as though it's immune to recessions and depressions, obviously. So what are you seeing in terms of jobs and maybe the overall economic impact that COVID is happening on, having on the packaging industry? Has it been pretty 
level, would you say? Are you seeing more unemployment numbers? Is that something that you guys track? Yeah, well, we did um, a very, um, uh, not necessarily scientific uh, survey of our audience okay. um, quite early, early on. Let me, I think it was in March. Um, in late March, early April is when we surveyed our audience and um, we actually did a couple of articles about it. Um, initially, it was um, that the, uh, let me see if I can pull up some of these. Yeah, I've got the numbers right in front of me. So um, okay. mid to late March, 66% of the audience said their job was slightly disrupted. Hmm. So two thirds, slightly disrupted. 10%, um, just 10% said, uh, yes, it's been um, affected devastatingly so. And um, the numbers changed quite a lot in early April. Okay. So in early April, 39% um, instead of 66% that it was slightly disrupted. However, um, in early April, and as compared to late March, instead of 10% saying it was devastatingly um, affected, 32% oh, wow. said it was devastatingly affected. So, um, you know, it was, it, it has gone through stages. Yeah. So um, one of the, and I, I get the sense right now that when, and when we asked, you know, how, how you were affected, we didn't say, did you lose your job? You know, we didn't specify how it was affected. So it could have been people losing their jobs. It could have been losing hours and uh, or losing salary. It could have been just, you know, now I have to work at home and I, and I don't have room for that. Yeah, you know, I hate it. Could it have been and, anyway. Right. Yeah. But um, I believe that things are are more on the positive side of things we're we're now more on the positive side of things looking months down the road from those initial numbers and i haven't surveyed the audience since then but um what we decided to do is um try to help out just a little bit because an older article that we did which identified 10 different areas uh, uh, 10 different types of jobs in the consumer packaging industry. And um, I want to say the article was done in 2016, 2015, 16, something like that, uh, uh, several years ago. But um, we, we noticed that that article had come to the back his back at the top of the list from a page view point of view hmm. that a lot of people are we assumed were searching for jobs and that's why they were looking looking at this older article and um so we have since then done um two uh, two articles one where we went searching on the internet we went to a variety of different job posting sites and um, the first article we did was um, a look at, we searched for available positions for packaging engineers. And um, we were able to find, uh, I, I, I couldn't believe the thousands of positions that mm -hmm. were showing up on, uh, across all of these um, sites. We went to Glassdoor, um, Monster.com, Indeed, and um, actually just LinkedIn because I am um, pretty impressed with the job um, posts uh, that I've been seeing on LinkedIn as far as like being very specific, industry right. specific. So um, I, I was pretty amazed at how many jobs were open um, for that. So we did, um, we just pulled out what I thought were some of the top ones. And um, in no time I had, you know, 15 positions that if I were a packaging engineer looking for work, I would want to apply to. And um, that article, you know, vaulted to the top of the list of um, readership um, almost immediately. In hmm. fact, um, 
I think we we posted the article mid-month, and it was like the top article of the month. So with with uh, a very short time of it being out there, it got a lot of uh, attention. And then um, we just mm, last week, yeah, uh, just last week we did a second article where we focused uh, specifically on open positions for packaging designers. Okay. So, you know, packaging engineer could be anything from a, a production engineer to, uh, you know, a materials engineer, chemical engineer, whatever. Um, but packaging designers are a little bit, you know, there's a lot of different positions in a packaging department. So we initially focused on the engineers, decided this time we would look at the design side of things. And um, again, it's just it, the readership on it is just like through the roof. Mm -hmm. So, so lots of uncertainty even, in the job market you, you're thinking? Um, I am not sure about that because it's sort of good news that there are this many positions open. Sure. Okay, so there's a lot of opportunity for people to get a job in in packaging departments these days. Mm -hmm. And not every single job that we posted was at an end user company, but the vast majority of them were. So for example, out of the uh, 26 jobs that we posted for packaging designers, I think maybe three of them were at supplier companies or at consultant, consultant companies. All the other ones were with brand owner companies. Okay. So um, that, is, that is, to me, a good indication that the packaging departments are right. in a good position from a hiring point of view. I guess I was but wondering, because of the amount of the people looking at it. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going with it, Adam. But the number of uh, you know hits that we've gotten on these articles means that there's quite a few people out there interested. Although, you know, sometimes people look at open positions just to see, to see what the salaries are, to see yeah. if they're in line. True. Um, I, I don't know that there's anybody uh, who thinks that they can go to an employer today in this economy, though, and uh, ask for uh, ask for a raise. But, you know. Who knows? Yeah. I, I know, we'll, I know we'll that I've... how things improve. I know that I've, um, I've seen quite a few packaging engineers over the past few months that have changed jobs. And so maybe there's a level of uncertainty to your specific job. And so while you're not fired, you're not unemployed, you're wondering, is my company going to be around? And if you're, let's say you're in, I don't know, uh, you're, you're doing packaging engineering for a chain of movie theaters and you have to design all of the popcorn boxes and all that stuff. Exactly. Now you're yeah. like, they're saying, no, we, we still need you. We're going to be coming back up. And you're going, I, I don't know. I'm a little scared. So you go take a job at yeah. J&J or you're looking for these jobs because you're like, well, they're not going away. So. Yep. Um, yep. That's a good point. That's a good point. And actually that brings me to um, uh, another area um, where Oh, wait, I had the thought. Where, where did it go? It's in my brain somewhere. Um, it, yeah, no. It, it's gone oh, forever? It's gone. Oh. <laughs> I don't know, but forever. Give me your cell phone number so I can call you at 3 o'clock in the morning when I, when, when I remember what Got it was it. I wanted to say. One of my kids will uh. answer it because they'll be in our room already. Um, <laughs> well, uh, maybe, what, if, what if we have the, uh, what if we have part two, the the post-COVID um, Pierce People of Packaging podcast. Look at that. That's almost that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of alliteration there. Um, yes. And uh, we can we can have even maybe like a roundtable discussion with uh, maybe a couple of the writers at Packaging Digest or something. That could be fun. Um, that would we, be fun. We yeah. Should do post-COVID, post-election because that's a whole nother can of worms right yeah there. yeah i don't have enough uh i don't have enough time and availability of adult beverages right now to have that conversation but we will <laughs> at some point in time <laughs> dig into that yes. um yeah. well uh lisa this is this has been a fantastic conversation uh i have i i've 
I've personally learned a ton. I've taken down a whole bunch of notes. Um, I know that you are a Chicago snob and that's exciting and that you guys have a, uh, most importantly, you guys have a ton of great articles and a ton of great content that you're coming out with uh, all the time. So uh, I'm sure we'll have another episode, uh, hopefully sooner on a post COVID conversation. But in the meantime, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, uh, is LinkedIn the best way? Uh, what's, what's the best way for somebody to contact you if they've got any follow-up questions or maybe it's a company that has an article idea or something like that? Sure. Um, people can always reach out to me through email, um, even though my email inbox is an absolute nightmare just because of the volume of emails. Um, Lisa.Pierce, P-I-E-R-C-E, at Informa dot com that's i-n-f-o-r-m-a dot com or um, believe it or not i am old school when my phone rings if i'm not on another call because you know the the phone is one thing but then you're on your your computer on a call you know right <laughs> um but if my phone rings i answer it uh so uh you can reach me at area code Six three zero two seven two one seven seven four. Okay. Well, very good. We'll make sure and to yes, put that I in am, the show notes. Okay. Always interested in talking with people about what's going on in packaging. Um, I, how long we've we been talking, Adam? It seems like uh, uh, quite a, a long only time. An, only about an hour. <laughs> okay. It, no, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, um, but I could talk about packaging for. Sometimes days. I say days, but I, I think it could even go into the weeks. <laughs> uh, I think likewise. Uh, I, that's why I got to start this podcast. So um, we'll make sure that people know how to get in contact with you. Uh, okay. Encourage everyone to, to connect up with you, follow you on LinkedIn, follow uh, what's going on with Packaging Digest. And once again, Lisa, thanks so much for being on. My pleasure.